0: Welcome to Unlucky Moves, where we're going to cover the key decision points and pivotal moments that really change the trajectory of successful entrepreneurs and leaders. We want to share stories, not just the glory stories, but also the gory stories, because as I like to say, the bigger the shit show, the bigger the rest. So speaking of shit shows, my guest today is Scott Lease who is the, the sales whisperer and he is the uh, the builder of sales machines for entrepreneurial companies who are trying to scale. Scott, I want to have I've got a lot of questions for you, but I want to start with a really hard-hitting question for you and that is a story a question about heartbreak. And that is who is a more heartbroken NFL football fan, you as a Buffalo Bills fan or me as a Minnesota Vikings fan? <laughs>
1: this is a fantastic question. Great opener. I'm going to go with me. And here's why. The city of Buffalo, to my knowledge, has never had a championship in any professional sport whatsoever. And you in Minneapolis, I believe, had championship with Minnesota Twins once or twice and the Minneapolis Lakers before that once or twice. So I'm going to say that I am the most tormented.
0: Well, the question was just NFL football, so I can go. I know, but I I, I warped the
1: question a little bit. You know?
0: There you go. There you go. I know we both have stories of heartbreak, and uh, I thought we were both going to be heartbroken together. Uh, you may be in the Super Bowl, had a chance this year, but unfortunately, no. So as you can tell, my guest today is my friend, Scott Lease. Scott is a three-time entrepreneur. He's a six-time sales leader and a three-time author. He's also a, a college uh, soccer and tennis player, and he is now in Austin as a self-described California soul. Need to be careful about that when we're in Austin, Scott. But hey, man, welcome to our show. I
1: appreciate you having me, man. It's good to see you again.
0: Hey, Scott has a great story of redemption that we're going to get into here in a little bit. But I want to start with something that I am absolutely jealous about, Scott, and that is your ability to combine your passion for surfing with your passion for sales with your surf and sales camp. What a great boondog! Well, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, you know, years ago, like 2017, um, I was on a family vacation with a friend of mine and was kind of giving him some grief about all these conferences and events that he has to go to, you know, he flies all over the world and he's going from kind of one Marriott to the Hilton and all sorts of weird places like Minneapolis and Buffalo and stuff like that. And I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. You know, how come nobody has uh, a, a conference in a cool place like Costa Rica? That's where we were. We were just outside Tamarindo in Costa Rica. And I said, why does it have to always be, you know, 10, 50, a hundred thousand people? Why, why Why? is bigger always better? Those things tend to overwhelm me and I do better in a smaller, more intimate kind of experience. And so my buddy Richard just kind of challenged me and said, well, why don't you build one? And uh, you know, the brave, silly soul that I am, I'm like, all right, well, screw you, then I will. Um, so we've been running these a couple of times a year now, since 2017, we've, we've sold out all nine of them that we've had so far, I've had great sponsors and and just a killer time, we, we bring about 20 uh, people from everywhere from founder level to VP of sales to customer success, marketing, um, you know, account executive, you name it. Um, and we kind of spend half the day talking about sales and leadership and business. And the other half of the day, kind of goofing off, getting some exercise, teaching people how to surf, having good food and just uh,
0: swapping war stories. So it's, it's a great time. If you're just joining us on Unlocking Moves, today's episode is brought to you as usual by Hire Better, the strategic talent partner for growth-minded entrepreneurs everywhere. I love it. I love it. So I've, I've heard you make a, um, a correlation between catching a wave and making a big sales pitch. Tell me what, uh, what that means to you.
1: Well, there's so many different ways to think about it. You know, you can get uh, a little bit too eager and totally wipe out uh if you miss a wave there's always another one coming and you know you kind of got to shake it off um when you're actually surfing and and on top and riding a wave it's virtually impossible to think about anything else it's one of the best parts about about surfing is it it requires you to be fully present in the moment and you know if if you've ever been a part of like a good sale or a, a the big moment in your company's history, it's like nothing else matters in those moments except that thing, and you really feel truly alive and present with it. Oh, you know, all of those different kinds of things, um, the preparation required, the care afterwards, which which uh, as you get older <laughs> is a little longer uh, than it ever was before when you're surfing, um, and just the exploration of it all. You know, we could always go to the same break and surf the same wave, but it can kind of get stale after a while. And so you're always chasing this next wave, that next spot, and you're trying to bring people with you because sometimes sales can be a lonely journey. So you go on surf trips with friends and family and things like that. So Those are some of the things that I think about.
0: I love that, Scott. Being in the present moment is one of the key things I heard. And uh, uh, there's always another wave to chase and you got to get past the last one that you just crashed on. Those are some of the key takeaways for me.
1: That's right. It requires a good amount of... uh, courage as well, I should say, to even have the guts to paddle out past the break and then paddle into a big wave that's coming, so.
0: Isn't that the truth? And the bigger the wave, the bigger the reward and the bigger the risk and the bigger the guts. Right? <laughs> that's right,
1: that's right.
0: Awesome. Hey Scott, you went from, as I mentioned before, college soccer and tennis player in California to really you know, lowest of the low sales reps You know, when you started. Now you're a highly sought after entrepreneur, speaker, and, uh, and sales consultant. Tell me a little bit about your story. I'd love to hear uh, some of the key really surprises or key t- takeaways for you. Well, you
1: skipped over a part there that, that I think is actually really formative. You know, I, I played two sports in college and I didn't just go right from that to starting my my career. I actually was finishing grad school um, at Arizona State right before my, my 23rd birthday. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I, I started getting really sick. And I started having a lot of GI problems and people kind of couldn't figure out what was going on. It turns out I had autoimmune disease and autoimmune disease got really, really bad and spawned a bunch of other problems. I started to get uh, colon cancer growths and all this kind of just wild stuff that, um, you know, you're certainly not thinking about when you're young and you kind of have this bulletproof mentality that that some of us, you know, young former athletes have. And I spent the better part of four years in the hospital nonstop. And uh, I've had nine major surgeries. I had four emergency abdominal surgeries. I had a total colectomy. I know what it's like to live with a colostomy bag and then have that taken down and just completely like rewire my whole entire uh, being. During that hospitalization, I started getting fed pain medicine for non-recreational uses, of course. But by the time I got healed, uh, I had this little thing that was called opioid addiction. And so now I had to kick off of uh, of drugs and, you know, get clean. And so it was a long, long battle, four years, like I said. So now I'm, you know, 27 years old or so. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I've completely lost my athletic career, whatever I was studying in grad school. And as an undergrad at the time, I, I thought, well, you know, I don't even remember anything. and uh, I don't know. I can't go down that profession. Like it's all over. And I got into sales because I had, I had a couple of buddies uh, in college. My one of the guys was on my tennis team and he was like, Hey, you should think about checking out sales. You know, you're, you're a captain of the team. You're like pretty convincing. You like to argue a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, I think you might be good at this. You're the most competitive person I've ever met you should give it a try. And I was, I was really, you know, kind of a wallflower and and quiet, you know, at the time, I'm still fairly introverted, but not as much as before. And so, you know, it took a lot of courage and evolution for me to go from this kind of more shy, quiet person, other than when I was on this athletic field to this, you know, loud, (laughs) confident, expressive person who, was going to get into sales and and you know luckily for me that transition worked pretty well and and was fairly smooth but it, it took a long time and it was hell to get there.
0: Man Scott thank you so much for sharing dude. I I knew a little bit of that and I know most of our audience didn't know any of that and I appreciate your uh, yeah. uh, be willing to be transparent and share that. Uh, I can only imagine what it was like to you know lose four very valuable years of your life and and to be able to come out of that ultimately stronger than where you started um as a you know as a as a young man you know i know you were a great athlete but as you matured and became a prospering member of, of society uh, what a great story of uh, inspiration and thank you so much for sharing and the other thing i heard in that one was overcoming adversity the other is having the the fortitude the grit the balls whatever it is to uh to seek something new and to seize something new and not be stuck in your introverted ways. I resonate with that because I'm somewhat the same way and I'm trying to get out there and be more confident and outspoken with this podcast and things like that. But man, thank you for, uh, for all that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I have, have think I learned and I've tried to apply is uh, kind of how to shrink the Delta between an idea and taking action on it. And, and, and what I default to is this, age-old question of like what's the worst thing that can happen okay a lot of people only kind of default to like oh i'm gonna make a fool of myself or i might fail or something like that and when you've gone through certain things like i've gone through and, and frankly probably everybody has something that they've gone through in their life that the rest of us would think that's the worst thing i could think of i don't know that i could make it through that and if you just default to that thing then failing in a business, looking the fool, acting goofy on a podcast or whatever, those things don't matter at all. Right? And so that has given me a, a, a certain amount of courage, bravado, whatever you wanna, whatever you want to call it, to take a risk and try certain things. And what's the worst thing that can happen? I suck at it. Okay. Am I still healthy? Yes. Am I still, you know, happy? Yes. All right. No big deal. I'll be able to pick myself up, you know, and, and, I, and I think that we should rely on that. If you fall back on what's the hardest thing I've ever been through, is that easier than failing this thing that I might try? You know, the answer is probably no. That thing was probably a lot harder.
0: Dude, you don't know how much that speaks to me. One of my, uh, my own mantras is what's the worst that can happen. My wife hates to hear it because she's a little more risk averse than I am. And I try to get our boys, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Let's do this. So thank you for that. Yeah. We're going to mark that. That's going to be one of our hashtags for this show. I like hey, that. Uh, Scott, I like to consider myself the listener's advocate. So if i am uh, got a chance to have a one-on-one with the, the sales whisperer, you know, Scott Lee's, what would I want to know? And I'll get to your books here in a little bit, but you are an expert and guru in sales. What are the three top tips you would think uh, about sharing with an entrepreneur as far as building a sales org or, or, or becoming a great salesperson?
1: The first thing is you gotta have a process. It, what I mean by that is you can't just wing it. And, and a lot of founders and even salespeople kind of show up to each particular call unprepared. They try this one pitch this time and the next call they try it a different way and they're just like constantly tinkering. You know, you and I know each other uh, through youth baseball, I think it was the first time that we met. Now imagine if if we're out there coaching the boys And every time they come up to the plate, we tell them to try a different batting stance. Or every time they throw a pitch, we tell them a different motion. That's not going to end very well, right? So the first thing is find a process that you feel comfortable with, right? And then stick with that thing. Don't abandon it all the time. The second thing I would say is nobody cares about you or what you do or what your product does unless they believe that it solves one of their problems. is a fundamental belief of mine. I actually wrote about this in my addicted to the process book. Um, And I kind of tried to make the analogy that sales is like curing an addiction. You cannot walk up to somebody who has addiction issues and say, Hey, I got this cool rehab facility. You ready to go? They will bristle. That will not go over very well. Right. Instead, what do we always talk about when it comes to recovery? You have to get somebody to admit that they have a problem. That's just the first step though, because Unfortunately, we probably all know a lot of people who know they have a problem and have yet to do anything about it. So the second piece is educating them in terms of why they should care. Why is it important to fix this particular problem? Well, even that is not enough because there's a little thing called rock bottom that hasn't happened yet. And rock bottom creates urgency. So in business, you have to get somebody to admit they have a problem, understand why they should fix that problem, and now understand that that thing should rise to priority number one. And this is a severed limb, not a paper cut. It demands attention right away. And then and only then is it my belief that somebody is open to hearing about your product, your solution, your services. So that's the second part is nobody cares until they believe that they have a problem. And the third part is this job is really hard selling is really, really hard. It's not easy. Uh, I know some people think that everybody can do it. I think everybody can do it. I don't think everybody can do it well. And they certainly can't do it well without a lot of practice. I think if you just show up with the belief that you've built an amazing piece of technology and this thing's gonna fly off the shelf or you've written an amazing book and everybody's gonna buy it, no, that doesn't happen. You have to find a way to get out there, put yourself out there, be willing to fail hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in a row and just keep searching for those successes. And when you get those successes, you hang on to those emotions and you cast aside all the rejection and all the failure. And sales is arguably the job with the worst percentage out there. I was watching the uh, the NBA playoffs the other night and you know, I'm watching Steph Curry score 50 points, right? He shot 20 for 38 that night. Not you know, whatever the percent that is, little over 50 percent, right? Can you imagine if you had a 50 percent success rate on your sales calls? We would all be rich as hell.
0: Instead, you interview the- me for this, not me interviewing you.
1: <laughs> Instead, what happens is people say it would be amazing if you made 100 calls and got one person to buy. Now imagine Steph Curry is suddenly the greatest shooter in NBA history, and he makes one three-pointer out of every 100 that he shoots. Just think about that for a little bit of perspective. So we have to become extremely mentally tough. Those are the three things that I would encourage people to think about.
0: I love it. Follow a process, be mentally tough, and and, uh, be able to get back up off the ground. And um, the most important one was...
1: Nobody cares unless they believe that they have a problem.
0: And that's the one I wanted to highlight because many of us in sales, we we get rejection or we don't get a response from somebody we're trying to talk to or sell to. And we think it's us or think whatever, but we don't know that they haven't hit rock bottom to your point. They don't need our product or service just yet.
1: And it's our job more than ever um, as sales and the buying process is evolving. It's our job more than ever to try to understand what's going on with somebody in their business prior to reaching out to them you know i'm not just gonna ring you up anymore kurt like i might have done 25 years ago when i had less access to information and just ask you a million questions about your business because i don't know anything instead i now have the opportunity to do all sorts of research about you i can find out that you like the minnesota vikings i can find out that you're an author I can find out that you built uh, you a know, hire better and where it's based and how many employees. I can learn all these things so I can know for a fact about a lot of things and I can make some calculated assumptions about other things. And that helps me in terms of my uh, reach out to you to kind of get you with relevant information at hopefully the appropriate
0: time. Uh, and I've seen you uh, post some uh, ridiculous uh, uh, comments that people have, have reached out to you. We'll we'll get into that maybe in some outtakes. But hey, let me cover uh, cover your books real quick. You've got three books, and so I've got a question for you. when I wrap up. One is Addicted to the Process. One is More Than a Number, and the other is From Rep to Manager, which I think is a great topic. Um, tell me which one's your favorite baby and why.
1: Well, I think the first one is my favorite baby. You know, it, it was it, there was a lot of personal stuff in there. And it was something that just, I felt like it's an underserved part of the market, this stuff for people who are just kind of newer to sales or thinking about making a, a career transition. And it's the first time I ever tried to be an author, frankly. And, and writing a book, as you I'm sure well know, is a painful process. It ain't easy. You know, and, and you're, it's not easy and you're not doing it for profit. I mean, neither of us are JK Rowling out here making a billion dollars on Harry Potter, right? You know, you're doing it because, first of all, you have these ideas and you're trying to formulate them in a structured, articulate way, right? And it really forces you to, to, to lock in on like, what the hell am I trying to say here, okay? And you're doing it because you're trying to help people. And if you're if you're doing it in the way that, I think most people writing business books are doing it. It's acting really as like demand generation for you. It's a calling card. It's like, what does Kirk think about this subject? What does Scott think about this subject? And that hooks people in. And now potentially you have a variety of different products, services, events, whatever is going on in your personal professional ecosystem that sucks people in. So somebody reads my book and they're like, hey, this was pretty cool. Let me follow this guy on LinkedIn. They follow me on LinkedIn. They hear about surfing sales. They're like, wow, maybe I should listen to the surfing sales podcast. They listen to that and they're like, I really like this guy more and more. I hear, maybe I should go to the surfing sales event down in Costa Rica. They go to that. They learn a bunch. They start to progress in their career. Now they're starting a company. They're like, I need help growing and building my sales org. I should probably call Scott. And it creates this whole funnel. So this, Five to ten dollar purchase of the book can blossom into a long term personal professional relationship that can actually become quite lucrative for you. But you're not making a ton of money in direct near term cash from the types of books that I'm writing. But that was that. That's my favorite one. The learning the whole process. That's why.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think we're actually going negative on the uh, on the money on the on the book. But hey, I do want to say that uh, it, it is a hard process, and I'll be open and honest with you i've told uh, uh, quite a number of folks i went about 6 months writing the book before i even told my own family i was writing a book because i was afraid wow. i would fail and not follow through so there's wow. a story about overcoming your own head, head trash
1: yeah it's tough you know it's a it's a it's a personal experience and you really are putting yourself out there and you know like you were saying you know maybe you're in the negative so right now it's like if you're just looking at it from I wrote this thing it cost me this much to put the book out there. I made $300 this month. If you're just looking at that like direct revenue thread, you could probably get frustrated real quick. You got to look at it in this long tail thing like how can I make this work for me in all these other ways and it's a personal achievement and there's pride behind that and other things like that. But. Um,
0: Well, here's what I love about my book, and I want to ask you a couple of questions. So it's called Who's Your Mike? Uh, Each chapter is a different archetype of an employee you'll meet on your entrepreneurial journey. I have a blast because every character I talk about, the entrepreneurs I speak to, like, oh my gosh, I've got that guy. So I want to talk about three sales folks really quick and get your perspective on which one is your favorite. Number one is Harry the Hustler. And maybe he's featured in rep to manager, but he's your best sales guy. You decide to promote him to VP of sales because you're growing and scaling. He ends up sucking as a manager. Now you've lost your best, uh, your best individual contributor. That's one. Number two is side hustle, Sam. He's the guy that's, you know, got a side hustle going while he's trying to help you build your, your sales empire. (laughs) And then the third one is pipeline, Paul. He's the big swinging, you know what, silver bullet that's supposed to bring all these amazing clients to you and it doesn't do crap in the first year he's with you. Finally, you get rid of them. Which one resonates with you the most?
1: Well, Side Hustle Sam resonates with me the most. First of all, that's the one that I want to hire. Um, yeah. That's the one I think right now, at least in my journey, I have the most respect for. That's the one I see myself as because I feel like I've done that exact thing. <laughs> that being said, I have certainly been around and hired or fired all of those archetypes <laughs> at one point in time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Here's my, my counsel to entrepreneurs who, who have a potential side hustle, Sam, is you want to open up the communication. Cause as, as Scott said, we want side hustle, Sam, we want somebody who's going to be entrepreneurial and go get it and, you know, be aggr- aggressive and proactive for you. The things that make that powerful for you also make him or her entrepreneurial and want to do their own thing. So you, we want to support some of that in, as long as they're delivering for us as well.
1: That's right. As long as they're doing what they're supposed to do for you, what they do in their own free time should not matter to us. You probably wouldn't give them hell if they told you they were driving an Uber on the weekends to make a couple extra bucks or bartending at night because they needed to you know, move out of their apartment into a nicer one. So let's not give them a bunch of grief for working on something on their own time as long as they're succeeding on their own. For you,
0: great point. So, Scott, we're at the part of our show where I usually ask about your unlocking move. Is it safe to say we've already spoken about it with your uh, your uh, near death experience?
1: Yeah, I mean that is that was a formative thing in my life and and in my career for sure. And stroke of bad luck, sure. Also, stroke of good luck because it turned into something of a superpower for me. I think my sense of urgency got heightened compared to other people at a a fairly early age. And I think my appreciation for and respect of each and every opportunity in front of us, you know, also got sharpened a little bit early on. And so rather than lamenting over the things that I've been through, I kind of chose to create this narrative for myself where I got an advantage on other people actually, you know, so I could put that thing uh, to use, but that, that would that would be the thing that, that you could say is an unlucky turn for me.
0: Well, I want to highlight that because in, in my opinion, you just inspired a whole bunch of people. Something in your mind bad happens to you. It's not the winners in life aren't the ones who fail or fall. The winners in life are the ones that get up and keep fighting. And so in your case, you turned that negative into a positive and made it part of your story in a positive way. I think we all have the opportunity to do that if we change our mindset just a bit. And I, and I, Thank and you for I think- that.
1: And I know it's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people are private, uh, you know, and don't want to put themselves out there. But I actually think that we do a little bit of a disservice to not speak openly about some of these things. Um, Because as you said, you know, maybe me talking about it inspires somebody uh, and they can relate to it. And then this tragedy can turn into something positive because it can make an impact on somebody else. And if now, Kurt talks about things he's been through that inspires somebody else. And we don't have to, you know, hide or cower in shame about some of these traumatic things that that we've been through. And it kind of normalizes the fact that all of our lives get f- from time to time. And it's, you know, kind of how we bounce back from it and what we do about it that matters, not the actual incident.
0: Man, that's exactly why we created Unlocking Moves, because we think there are things like that that we could get sour and depressed and, you know, whatever, but we come out stronger in the end. So thank you for highlighting that for me. Hey, uh, Scott, I wanna ask you now, uh, what is one question that you never get asked, but either wish people would ask you, or candidly, you're a little bit glad that they don't ask you because it's a hard question.
1: I don't know if I would use the word never, but most people that I talk to nowadays ask a lot about where I'm at right now, and what am I doing right now? And the moves that I'm making. And they don't ask enough about the things that I did 20 years ago, you know, and, and they don't hear that I would show up to the office at 6 a.m. and leave at 6 30. They don't hear that I had two buddies. I'd go into the office with every Saturday for four or five hours to try to push the envelope in terms of our sales and our learning curve. They don't remember all that kind of blood, sweat, and tears and stuff. And and we've gotten away from a hustle being a positive. And we've found a way as a, as a society to turn hustle into a bad word. Um, and I think that that's pretty dangerous. I'm, I'm all for, you know, finding a way to to have integrated work-life uh experiences and balance and that kind of stuff. But there are certain seasons of your life where you really need to put in the time. And nobody really got great at anything by just doing the bare minimum, you know? And so so I think I wish people asked me a little bit more about that.
0: I love it. There's there's a lot of people come to me and say, talk to me about your success and they don't realize all the challenges uh, along the way. So um, great question. So, Scott, uh, where can people find out more about you or about Scott Lease Consulting or Surf and Sales?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple different businesses that I run right now. I've got my consulting business where I help um, primarily early-stage companies get a, a sustainable go-to-market motion. You can find out about that business at com. Surf and Sales is surf and A-N-D sales, S-A-L-E-S, surfandsales.com. Uh, next events are in November and early December. Got a couple spots left that are open right now. Um, check out the website. You can check out the podcast as well. And I, I just launched a brand new business, Kurt, that you probably don't even know about. It's a sales and revenue community called Go-to-market United, gtmunited.com. Um, so I'd invite anybody who's looking for a community, online community, uh, weekly trainings and, and coaching events and mentorship and stuff like that. Uh, to check that out. And of course, you can always find me on LinkedIn.
0: Hey, we're going to get that word out. Thank you so much. Um, hey, Scott, with that, we're going to wrap this puppy up. Um, go like and subscribe, Unlocking Moods, wherever you consume your podcasts or go to YouTube and check us out. Give us a review. We really appreciate it. Scott, thank you so much for the transparency today. And thank you for uh, for being you.
1: Oh, yeah, my pleasure, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot.
0: If you're an entrepreneur and you think you might've outgrown a member of your team, or maybe you've got a mic, as we talked about in Who's Your Mic? Check out this quiz at whosyourmic.com slash quiz. That's whosyourmic.com slash quiz.